Buckle your seatbelts and hang on to your cowboy hats, ladies, because Off the Ground is going to Nashville. That's right, April 1st through 3rd, we're taking this show on the road, and you can come too. We'll be touching down in the music city for some boot stomping fun and an ultimate girls weekend, including activities, festivities, and swag galore. Secure your spot and snag a stay with us at Nashville's hottest property, Hotel Noel. We know we can't help ourselves. We will obviously be showering you with a jam-packed gift bag, along with delectable meals, hang time with your favorite podcast girl gang, and on Saturday, get ready to spend an epic afternoon with country music sensation, Megan Lindsay. You may know her from NBC's The Voice or a little show called Queer Eye, where she's behind the new theme song this season. So get this, you'll be joining her for a private songwriting and recording session at her home studio. Yes, you will get to create music with a number one billboard recording artist. Then you'll settle in with sips and snacks to watch her off the ground interview live. Heidi, are we missing anything? Oh, you know, only that we'll be rounding out the weekend with a chance to get your butt kicked by me during a private crossley yoga session Sunday morning, obviously followed by brunch. Can't think of a better way to finish the trip. Want more info on how to come along? Email me, jamie at offthegrampodcast.com, and I'll hook you up with deets. We'll see you there. Food pride kind of loops in with just pride about who you are and like building confidence in your kids. That food pride is not just about them being proud of eating kimchi. It's about them being proud of their Korean heritage, which then becomes them being proud of themselves or being Korean. That all is kind of tied into raising these human beings who feel good about themselves. Welcome back to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, ladies. Hi. Hey, gals. All right, Jamie here. So our guest today is someone I met recently on a shoot. So my mom, Joni Baloney, as I call her, Joan London to the rest of you. It's my favorite nickname for a mom. I just need to say that. I cannot not call her Joni Baloney. Like, I just can't. But we were on a shoot for NBC. We were doing a shoot for New York Live, talking about a brand that we're representing. And the gal who was interviewing us, I was like, first of all, you're so fabulous. Second of all, you seem so familiar. Turns out we had a gazillion friends in common. Don't even know how we weren't totally connected before. But it turned out to be the fabulous Michelle Park. And I said, girl, you got to get your butt on off the gram. So we got her today. So Michelle W. Park, if you're fancy, is an Emmy Award-winning broadcast journalist. She's currently a correspondent for NBC LX and NBC New York. She's a recurring lifestyle expert on the Drew Barrymore Show. She was a health and lifestyle expert for three seasons on the Steve Harvey Show and a food and lifestyle expert for the Harry Connick Show for three seasons. She's been seen all over NBC MSG Networks, Good Morning America, The Tamron Hall Show, and Fox Business talking about everything from lifestyle to consumer patterns. She's also appeared as a judge on Chopped Junior on the Food Network, personal fave in my family. We are obsessed with that show. My kids are going to definitely think I interviewed a big celebrity today, just saying. And of course, she was previously also an anchor reporter at New York One News. Megan? 
Well, she also graduated from Stanford University with a BA in political science and an MA in media studies. Pian to pian. Underachiever. Underachiever. She is the mom to two adorable little girls. They are three and six, and she finds herself constantly worrying about them as it pertains to food, diet culture, body positivity, and how they will grow up amidst a world that is so often poised to tell us we're not doing it right. Add to that the nuances of her Korean culture and the pressures of being an on-air personality where every part of our outward appearance is constantly evaluated and critiqued, and you have a recipe for a mama worry fest. Michelle is very concerned that she sends the right message to her girls to create body-positive adults, and she's here to talk to us about that topic today. Listen to this show if. You are terrified about the influence of media, social and mainstream, on children as it pertains to eating and body issues. You want to raise happy, healthy children with a positive self-image. Who doesn't? Or you worry about the blurry line between healthy eating and diet culture. But first, we've got a fun rant segment today, right, Jane? We sure do. Before we bring Michelle in... I got a rant. I always love to say I have a bee in my bonnet because it makes me feel like I'm like, I don't even know my grandma, but I also love it because I do. Okay. So I told you guys this the other day, this story, and I do hate to complain because I also understand that like my job, like in social media as an influencer, like I don't often complain about having to take pictures of great products and like tell people about it. It's not a terribly hard job. It's a fun job. I'm grateful to have it, but sometimes things come up. They make me pretty friggin' pissed. Okay, Heidi wants to jump in here just to clarify that I've known Jamie for a long time and she is not a complainer. Like this chick finds the positive in everything about her job and finds a way to spin it that everything is amazing. So now that we've set the stage with the fact that Jamie does not complain about her job. Well, right. But I also think this topic is pretty universal, right? You don't have to be like a social media influencer. You could be in any role and have a bone to pick with email etiquette or lack thereof. Let me set the stage. The other day I was doing a campaign for a brand. Might I add this particular campaign was unpaid, right? So they had given me something that was really cool in exchange for some social media love. It was a piece of fitness equipment. I was glad to receive it, but also with the understanding that this is my business. And if you're going to completely not compensate me, let's try to just like all just go easy on each other, right? Like let's not be totally crazy with expectations. Like we're all going to show up and do what we're meant to do and whatever. This dude was all up on me about like, did you do the thing? Are you going to do it? And also he gave me like no instructions and I did what I was asked to do. And then he was like, you have to do this and that, this and that, and this. Fine. I was already a little annoyed about that, but I'm like, you know what? Homeboy gave me like a fitness bike. That's cool. I'll do what he wants. Like I'll help him out. Right. Okay. Fast forward to two o'clock in the morning. My phone goes off and it's him texting me. He obviously got it from my email signature, which makes me rethink that I should have my cell phone in my email signature. Why Heidi doesn't have her cell phone phone number though. I look, I'm doing like, I'm a talker. I'm a hustle. Like I want people to be able to reach me. I assume people would have some sort of etiquette and decorum. That's a big assumption. I assumed wrong. So he writes me at two o'clock in the morning to say like, Hey, when can I expect this thing back from you? It wakes me up. And I just thought, is this guy literally insane? Was he raised by wolves? Like who sends a text 
to somebody's mobile device at two in the morning. So guys, have you dealt with stuff like this? Like, where do you fall? And also, like, I'm the first to admit, I don't always have the best work boundaries, but like, I definitely know to set my emails to go out not at 2 a.m. Like, if I write them late at night, I'll set them to go out the next morning. So I don't appear crazy, right? So this is Heidi, and I am big on work boundaries. Obviously, you know, there are situations that call for, you know, different quote unquote rules, right? So like if you're doing something on a weekend and you're supposed while you're doing it, I'm going to post on the weekend. There was this girl who, when I was first in the yoga wellness scene, she had an auto reply to her email that triggered at 5 p.m. on weekdays. I think she had an assistant set it because, you know, you can't like do that. You just have to have it on or off and on weekends. And it said something to the effect of, thanks for your email. I work between the hours of 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, and you can expect a reply from me then. I will be enjoying time with my family. You know, it was like something like super. And it, you guys, it changed my life. I actually tried to do my own version of it for a little bit, but I felt so uncomfortable with it. I, For me, it felt rude because I have boundary issues. <laughs> you guys know I have no boundary issues. I'm like a hard ass about boundaries, especially work boundaries. So like my phone is on mute all night long, which I also realized if there was an emergency could be problematic. But like when I walk away... But not if you have it on just silent because then if somebody in your contacts calls you twice in a row, it comes through anyway. Oh, good. Then I'm not worried if my mom needed me There's in the middle of the night. That. But like, I do not look at email that often. And I have those kind of out of office replies. Like, I'm on a beach with T. Murphy. Take care, comb your hair. Like, you're not getting it, you know. I love it. I love that. And I'm totally fine with when I'm on a vacation with that kind of out of reply. It's the 5 p.m. like cutoff so that somebody is not expecting a reply from me at 10, 30 p.m. or 11 because I've definitely, Jamie, gotten those emails. I, like I mentioned, do not give out my cell phone number unless it is absolutely vital to the project. I hate when people that I don't know pitch me via a text message. I'm like, whoa, stranger danger. How'd you get my phone number? No, that's rude. I that's rude. I think that. it's a real big no-no to send along someone's cell phone number. I think that I consider that a huge violation. I also feel like when people slip into your DMs with like a phone message, that freaks me out. Oh, you mean the audio message? Yeah. Sometimes that freaks me oh, out. Oh, I hate those. It doesn't freak me out. I just feel like, and I have people who do that all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, you are holding me hostage for two and yeah. a half minutes. Totes. Uh-uh. I don't have two yeah, and a half I minutes. I can't do that. Right. And you'd be like, and... Also, then it disappears and, oh, sorry, I'm not going to remember. Yeah. Well, look, I think at the end of the day, we're all just trying to figure it out because I definitely waffle back and forth. Like I'm also that person that is like on email all day and that's just who I am. So I'm definitely like, I probably tread on both sides of the tracks here, right? Because I'm like, also like, I'll respond to someone at 10 p.m. And then I'm like, I'm refreshing and refreshing. I'm like, why are they writing back? Yeah. I yeah. guess we do it, right? Well, also, I mean, I feel like post pandemic, like we were working so I was gonna differently, say that too. right? I used to go to an office. So it was very easy to be like, I'm not here. Right. I think that email is fine to respond. Jamie, I will say I am like you. If I am up super late, I will queue up the emails for 6 a.m. the following morning so I don't look like a... So basically for me, it's so that I don't invite them to email me back late at Mm, night, (laughs) but the email's out and I've done it. Mm -hmm. But I think that text and calling off hours is completely out of line and I will not participate. 
and pitching through like Facebook, LinkedIn, like TikTok, smoke signals, like get a grip now. I just got somebody sent me like a nasty thing because I didn't reply to a pitch on LinkedIn. I'm like, this is not where I accept pitches, dude. Like snap. <laughs> right, and also totally. like it's yeah. a pitch. Right. You don't have to, because I have such boundary issues. I actually talked to a therapist about this. Like I felt, cause I was so stressed about responding to every email in the world and there's just too many and I'm never going to be able to do it. And with all the pitches that come in. And she said, she was like, Heidi, when you walk down the street in New York city, there's like 50 people handing out flyers, right? She goes, do you take every flyer? And I was like, well, no, cause that's like a waste of paper. <laughs> and she was like, well, these emails are no different than those flyers. You didn't ask for them. Also, like I give myself certain like red flags. Like if you spell my name wrong, I give myself permission not to respond. Mm -hmm. If it's clearly like a chain kind of email that has no thought into it, I give myself permission to delete. You know, like there's certain things you can create, like certain little check marks and for yourself where you're like, oh, they spell my name wrong. Delete. I think at the end of the day, like when I look at my husband's, most of his clients are in Europe. And whenever we go over there, the difference that they have in work ethic, they are very ambitious, hardworking, motivated people. But the entire office stops for an hour to sit down and have lunch together, first of all. And then at the end of the day, it's the end of the day. And I think it's really interesting. And even though my American type A-ism, it makes me a little crazy because I really am born of like, I wear that like a badge of honor. It's a very American sensibility. I'm like, I have hustle running through my veins. Like, calm down, Karen. Like, Jesus. Sometimes I need to calm myself down because I see it, what they do in Europe, and I actually admire it. So I think it's a good takeaway for us all to just take a breath. We used to have a, a saying in when I did public relations for almost two decades, it's PR, not ER. Relax. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, we all get to make our own rules and our own boundaries. So somebody Amen. can be a boundary breaker and you do not have to humor them. You can hold your own and not apologize. Carrie oh, cool. Cole enters the chat. <laughs> all right, cool. Let's move on. Let's go to Michelle. Michelle, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. So we're going to talk about this really important topic, which is body positivity among children and being like a room full of moms, a Zoom room full of moms here, <laughs> is obviously top of mind for us all. First of all, I just need to like acknowledge what a boss babe you are and just really get grounded in your adorable family and your incredible career and kind of how you balance it all. Just like bring us up to speed, ages of kids, what goes on. Give us like the quick 411 on Michelle and fam. First of all, thanks, Jamie. And I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Megan, I have known for a while. Heidi, I'm so happy to meet you, Jamie. And I did this really fun shoot in Brooklyn in this like amazing loft. So that's where we connected. But yeah, I have a three and a half year old and a six year old. And we moved down to the city right when I got pregnant with my first. Yeah, I'm a working mom. I guess that's the best way to put it. Just kind of trying to juggle everything all at once. With such a great broadcast voice. I love your voice. <laughs> I'm like, I can't you. get over your skin and your lighting. I mean. <laughs> oh my goodness. You guys are too kind. There's actually no lighting in here. I always wonder about these Zooms because I'm in our guest room and I'm looking at a TV right now as what's in front of me. It's working for you, girl. Well, you look amazing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Something so beautiful inside and out. Okay. So Heidi here and so glad to meet you too. Yay. I also have two girls. I have twin six-year-olds. I also have a boy. And I know how hard it is to find balance as a working mom as well. And my kids and I are plant-based. And my daughters wow. didn't even have a birthday cake with refined sugar until they turned six. 
Um, wow. I'm like really big on inflammation. I literally used to send them to birthday parties with homemade cupcakes sweetened with banana puree that I made by myself using oh my dehydrated God. berries to color them. Like, so I'm like super... <laughs> super duper stringent about sugar because my whole family has inflammatory diseases and I, you know, know that I won't be able to control it at some point, but while I could, I wanted to do the best I could. But then now that they're six and getting older and more aware and they hear things and they take things back that didn't come from the home in their heads, I'm getting concerned about, you know, how much girls, not just young women, little girls too, sort of take in the way that there could be body shaming or food shaming and dysmorphic thinking, and especially with social media and YouTube and all the other influences. So how do you navigate this in your family? I feel like there will be a lot of wisdom from this answer. Well, Heidi, first of all, I need your recipe for these banana puree cupcakes. (laughs) That sounds amazing. But the one thing that I do want to say, like just very transparently, is that I'm not an expert in this. It's not something that I studied. I'm not a nutritionist. I am literally just a mom who packs lunches. And I think a lot about this stuff because when we were growing up, I'm sure all of you guys can relate, you know, like thin is in was something people would say, like moment on the lips, lifetime on the hips was something people would say, right? There was all of this shame surrounding food. There was all of this fear of gaining weight. You know, you were constantly complimented if you lost some weight and there was a huge stigma around being above a certain weight. And so for me, it's been incredibly important to try to bring my girls up in a space. And I totally agree with you, Heidi. We don't have full control over this, but to bring them up in a space where they're feeling confident, they're feeling body positivity, like through and through top to bottom. And they also can approach food in a way that is not so nuanced and touchy, right? Like I want them to look at food as something that fuels their bodies. I don't want them to look at food with fear. I don't want them to feel like food has morality. And so I think as I navigate this, I'm really navigating on the ground floor with all of you. I think we're all kind of in the same place, but there are certain things that I do. So I definitely don't speak about food in any way that's like, this is good food. This is bad food, right? When they're little, we were explaining things like avocados. Avocados have fat that will give you fuel to run around, right? That's what I say to my three-year-old. For my older daughter, I start explaining what's in an avocado that's good for her and why we shouldn't be having like 10 avocados, but having one avocado is a good idea, right? And so I think there are different levels that we can speak to our kids with about that. I also... I started making these bento boxes because my kids eat so many vegetables. You'd be shocked. I don't force it on them. Like I can send you guys videos of them just like chomping on raw spinach or raw broccoli or whatever. And it has largely come to be that way because of the way that we portion out their food. So giving them like a whole plate of broccoli would be very overwhelming for them. So what I used to do is I used to like heap food onto their plates because I was like, they need to eat. Right. And then they would look at this plate full of food and just be like, I'm not eating any of that. It's too much. And I didn't realize that was what was happening in their heads. They were just like, I'm not interested. When I started putting like two little broccoli florets and like one little piece of cauliflower and 10 peas, and they were like stuck on a pretty little toothpick with a flower at the end, or like I turned their eggs into things with eyes on them. It changed their kind of approach to food and made it a lot more fun for them. And for me, it also... It gave me a creative outlet, to be honest. I really like doing it. But outside of that, it's also been great for them to feel like they can approach food they're not used to. So like we introduced bulgur recently, which is like a grain, but they had never seen. And because I put it in like a pretty little pink silicone muffin cup and we added, you know, some fun things for that, like little bento picks, they were willing to try it. I also think there's no pressure in my house to finish anything. You don't even taste it if you don't want to. I try to put zero pressure surrounding food. 
I know this is a lot of information, but I just like this is amazing information. Yeah, but I think that's good information too, because I have interviewed endless experts on this topic, and you're doing everything right. It's the gamification of food. How do you make food more fun? How do you appreciate your meal? I'm also curious though. So, how does the nuances of Korean culture? impact how you're packing lunches, right? You mentioned the bento box. We have, I'm so excited. So on March 10th is pack your lunch day. And in woman's day, we talked about this really fabulous book that if you guys don't know about it, it's by Karen Chan. And it's a beautiful story about two kids and their packed lunches that captures how diverse meals can both highlight our differences and more important, bring us together. And the book is called, What's That? Uh-huh. And it's a really fabulous book that sort of highlights too, because like if your lunch is different beyond like, you know, body shaming yeah. or th- your lunch smells funny, you're the kid with the hard boiled egg that smells funny or that's different. What you're eating raw kid, like you have this banana muffin. So I think a lot of that too has been hard <laughs> yeah. to navigate. That's right? why like, I made them the fun colors, Megan. They didn't know. But is that what you got to do it? Because otherwise suddenly you've got the smelly kid with the hard boiled egg and it's like, wait, what? Yeah. So, so how does your culture impact how you approach food? I think that's such a great question. And I could probably talk about this for an hour. Talking about my childhood, anytime my mom, my mom is an immigrant from Korea. I immigrated here when I was two. So I am also a first generation Korean American in America. And so obviously when we moved here and she was packing lunches for school, she wasn't thinking to herself, let me stick peanut butter and jelly in her lunchbox. It was like, I was showing up with like fried rice or like whatever is normal for Korean moms to pack their Korean kids. And I was constantly made fun of. Like I was constantly told that my food was gross or that it smelled like I have a very clear memory of this little boy, like throwing my food on the floor and being like, dogs should be eating this. This is not for people. I mean, it was really terrible, right? It's been in my mind when I make my kids lunch, but it has influenced the way I feed them in a really strange way. So it hasn't, initially I would like think to myself, is chicken teriyaki smelly? Like, can I pack chicken teriyaki? Then I realized I was doing this and I really tried to shift my thinking. And so now I am always putting Korean aspects into their food when I can. So a lot of the times I'll pack her extra Korean snacks to share with her class or like we'll do Asian desserts are really fun. I can't say they're all Korean, the ones I use, but like, you know, the ones that are like shaped like pandas or shaped like whatever. And so I have tried to bring a little bit more cultural awareness for her and hopefully for the kids who are sitting with her at lunch to at least include that because I don't want that piece of her to get lost. And so what's happened on my social media platforms is I have had so many young kids just kind of like, leave comments or send me DMs being like, thank you for speaking to this. Because what we commonly refer to it as a lunchbox moment is this moment that is so universally experienced by any kid of any range of ethnicities who can bring in their own cultural food, right? I need to pick up this book that you just mentioned, Megan. I know. It's called What's That by Karen Pan. And my deputy editor had experienced food shame growing up in a household where her food was so-called different and she was really moved and touched by it. And so we were so excited to feature it because March 10th is, you know, we're always tying everything to a holiday, but I would love for you even to give this any airtime you can on all of your platforms. Cause I think it's really important. I think we yeah. almost need a food pride movement where people are proud yeah. of, and for my kids, it might be corned beef and cabbage, right? But like, <laughs> what is your food pride? Like to embrace the different aspects of your culture and how we celebrate through food. And I think food pride kind of loops in with just pride about who you are and confidence, like building confidence in your kids, right? And so 
that food pride is not just about them being proud of eating kimchi. It's about them being proud of their Korean heritage, which then becomes them being proud of themselves or being Korean. And, you know, I think that all is kind of tied into raising these human beings who feel good about themselves. Who like themselves and are body positive, no matter what's in their lunchbox. Yeah. Before we get off this topic, so this is Heidi speaking. I was born allergic to dairy, seafood, shellfish, all these things. The dairy is the key thing. Like I got hives if somebody dropped milk on me and it was anaphylaxis if I ingested it. And so I couldn't eat anything as a kid that normal kids ate, right? And so that's like pizza, that's ice cream, it's cake, it's every celebratory food. And so I, it's interesting because I'm as American as they get, right? But I was still ridiculed. So it was just when you were talking about the heritage thing, I was like, it's so interesting, because first of all, that's horrific and awful. And I love that, you know, there's so much more conversation and inclusivity. And I love that my kids came home one day and they were like, mommy, Ritsu brought sushi to school. We want sushi at school. (laughs) Like, you know, we have a roller, we do our avocado rolls, whatever at home. But that's New York City, which is very different than growing up in a suburb where there's not many, many cultures in the same place. It's more homogenous. And so I hate that. And I love that there are now books coming out about making it all more inclusive and celebrating everyone. But it also occurred to me that as a kid, I was like, I'm weird. And it had nothing to do with culture. It was literally just food that I couldn't eat or was allergic to. So Meg's like with celiac. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we have a kid in James's class who's going through like clinical trials and flying back and forth, you know, to California for a peanut allergy. And he's the the weird peanut, like, you know what I mean? Like there's definitely a stigma around food allergies. Even sometimes I feel it as as a celiac when someone says to me, oh, you're on a diet? No, I'm allergic to gluten. Have a nice day. Right. Like, Oh, I used to get poisoned at restaurants and would end up in the hospital because the waiters would roll their eyes mm-hmm. when I said no butter, please, because I'm allergic to dairy. And they'd basically like mutter under their breath, like little skinny girl, blah, 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 and put it in anyway. And so I actually had to start caveating it by saying like, but oil is fine, mm-hmm. but all the oil. So they didn't like think it was a choice, you know? Well, what I'm hearing here, this is Jamie, what I'm hearing with everybody is, you know, we all have these deep wounds from how we perceived food growing up, whether it was just literally my thing is like the whole thin is in really stuck with me. And I was anorexic and I had all these eating disorders growing up. So I work very hard when I am trying to imbue my children with healthy eating habits to make the distinction between weight loss, even though my kids are boys, between weight loss or bad foods. And this is the best food to fuel your body. And it sounds like what everybody on this Zoom right now is doing is just trying to rewrite the narrative. And Michelle, I think that's what you've done. You've taken something that was a trauma and you've rewritten the narrative to be positive. So it's body positivity, it's food positivity, it's culture positivity. And I think it's amazing. I want to take that idea and just take a quick left turn and ask you a quick question because something came up and it kind of stuck with me when you and I spoke the other day, we were talking about the role that dads play in all of this. And I think it's really interesting. You and I were discussing how our hubbies, we're blessed, right? You and I, 
our hobbies sometimes take on the role that's cast as like a girl's role. Like my husband does a lot of the cooking. He participates in the dishes and the house cleaning. And personally, I think it's awesome because it shows my boys a more modern approach. I'm sure for your girls, it shows them what a good man looks like. Do you think we're moving more towards this societally? Do you think dads are aware of like food stigmas and raising kids with these new values? And if there's not a presence of a hands-on dad, because I hear this a lot from my followers, my community, well, that's great for you. But what about for those of us who don't have that? How do you think a mom can help her kids grow up strong and secure despite this? Like, let's just talk about the man's role in all of this for a second. Oh, that's a big question, Jamie. <laughs> big question. And it's an opinion-based answer, understanding you're not a therapist, but it's an opinion-based question as somebody who's in this world. Well, to answer the first part of this question, I do think there's a huge shift towards trying to find some more equity in a household. I mean, there's a reason that all these moms are burning out, right? Like we've been through this two-year pandemic and everyone really felt it and become kind of a mental health issue among moms because we took all of this stuff on for us. And so it's clearly not even close to where it should be right now. The huge brunt of mental labor is done by moms in a household. You know, majority of the household stuff is handled by moms still. Like I have yet to meet a dad who hired the nanny or the caregiver in the home. I think that's always the mom. And so there are a lot of spaces in which there's room for improvement. That being said, I do think that at least with my husband and when I talk to him about it, he's always open to hearing about it, right? So I say to him like, oh, don't say good job clearing your plate. This is not something we want to say in the house because we don't want them to feel like they have to finish the food. And he's like, okay, that makes sense. And then he'll like adapt to that. I think that if you're in a household where you don't have a supportive partner like that, it's probably going to be very difficult to try to get that message across. But I do think that at least you can kind of segment it and be like, okay, this is my space. Fine. You don't want to be involved in everything that I'm trying to do to raise these kids in a way that's like a little bit different from the way we were raised. Let's just agree to disagree on that. And like, I will go ahead and do this on my own. Probably going to cause more burnout, but you know, I think you kind of have to choose your battles. And I do think that it's one of those issues that's so important. Like we really do want to raise confident, strong, kind human beings that if you are not getting the support, find it among your moms, like DM Jamie, DM me, you know, we're around, like find it in your community versus trying to find it with your partner. If that's not something that's possible. Those are such wise words. Thank you. <laughs> Find it in your mom community. That's why you yeah. have one. All right. So let's lighten the mood for a minute because before you mentioned your bento boxes, and I just want to talk about your adorable Instagrams. You create these <laughs> cute voiceover vignettes where you're prepping food and you tell a story. So can you tell us a little about how these came to be and what they mean to you in the context of food and your family, please? Oh, yes. Well, so how they came to be was it was a pandemic hobby of mine. So <laughs> yeah, literally, like once there was no school, and they weren't going in to eat lunch. So prior to that, I had just been like throwing sandwiches in a paper bag and sending them off, right? Like there was no preparation to it. I just kind of like threw it together. Or it was like, I remember one day I sent my kid in with like bar food from the night before that I had brought home as leftovers. I was like, here's like chicken tenders and french fries. And when the pandemic hit, like everyone was making sourdough and I was like, I have no interest in making sourdough, but I want to make fun lunches that I have, you know, seen my entire life growing up, like in the Asian way. I started doing them and I was just posting them to TikTok. I was like posting them to TikTok because prior to that, I had been doing makeup hacks on TikTok. And I think I kind of like lost steam with that. It just didn't feel like it was that important. I mean, it was really fun to do for a while, but it wasn't feeding anything inside of me that I thought was important. And so I started telling stories about my kids that I thought 
had some sort of message, right? So I talk a lot about inclusivity. I talk a lot about body positivity. My most popular TikTok to date was about, I took my daughter to a Starbucks and there is a trans barista at our Starbucks who I've had a conversation with, but she had never seen. And so we walk in and I'm like, oh, what do you want, Madeline? And she's like, mom, is that a boy or a girl? And I thought for it, like, I like froze for a moment. I was like, do I explain what trans is? Do I like, do I answer, how do I answer this question? And I was like, why am I spiraling? I literally just said to her, if you don't know, you can ask somebody. And she was like, okay, how do I ask? And I was like, well, if I were to do it, I would say, hi, I'm Michelle. My pronouns are she, her. What are your pronouns? I would like to refer to you correctly or however you want to say it. Right. And my kid did not miss a beat. Just said to her, hi, I want a cake pop. Also my pronouns are she, her. What are your pronouns? Right. It was very just like natural. It was not confusing for her. It was not something that was like what it has now been made out to be as this some sort of like awful existential crisis for children. That's not how she took it at all. She just moved on with her life. And I said, that's going to be a very respectful way if you ever have that question, right? And so I got a lot of hate for that on TikTok, but I also got a lot of trans kids in my DMs just being like, thank you for seeing us. Thank you for hearing us. And so that's really the reason that I kept doing them because frankly, now that the pandemic is like waning, I'm working a whole lot more in person. And so I still make the lunches, but they're not as involved as I used to be. I'm not like making little dumplings with pig faces on them and then steaming them. And like, you know, it's more just like, let me get the microwavable dumplings and stick some bento box eyes in it and it'll still be cute. It's the stories. It's the stories stories. that go with them. Yeah. It's the stories that my kids do so many really random, hilarious things that I also, I think there's a piece of me that just wants to remember them and my memory is terrible. And so this is a good way for me to be like, if my kids ever want to hear anything, I'll be like, look at the social media. Everything's there. I have to say, I feel very strongly about that. Like I'll like go back and be like, oh my goodness. Remember when we made that balloon arch? Remember when we made those shamrock noodles? Like, Because you don't remember it. Like, it's such a nice reminder sometimes of the moments you've had. I'm nosy. So I'm usually the one that gets the nosy questions out there. You've been with (laughs) New York Live for years. And you've been a reporter and contributor to so many amazing shows. You know, I say our listeners, but I personally just like the juicy stuff. So do you have any crazy on-set stories or behind the scenes from something that people might not know about working on TV? I have so many stories, Megan. I don't even know where to start. I'm going to tell you a story that I tell a lot of young journalists, actually, because I think there's this like misconception, and you guys all know this isn't true because all of you are on camera, but it's not as glamorous as people think. And it's really like a lot of it is just, you're like nose to the grindstone or whatever they say. You're just kind of like grinding it out. And I had a very unglamorous moment early in my career where I was at the Nissan Open in Los Angeles covering it. And I am not a golfer. So I didn't know what I was supposed to wear as a reporter covering a golf tournament. And so I just wore an all white suit, which to me seemed like something you would wear to a golf course. I don't know. Clearly that was, well, you'll see why that was a bad idea. So I'm interviewing Tiger Woods, who at the time was like the cat's pajamas. Everybody wanted to talk to Tiger Woods. And so we had to get him while he was walking, right? So we're like kind of on a golf course on a hill and I'm walking with him and they're telling me we're going to be live. We're doing a live interview with Tiger. So we're like walking with him and I'm, and as they're counting me down, I go to get the mic. So I spin like this, like spin, turn around behind me, go to grab the mic from the shooter and my wedge heel slips on the grass and I slide down the hill and I get a huge grass stain on one side of this white suit. 
and he's rolling. And so on the first five seconds of this story are me on the ground jumping up. You see me jump up really fast and go, I'm here. I'm good. By the way, we're here at the Nissan Open. I'm talking to Tiger Woods. He goes, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I probably like sprained my ankle, but I'm going to be fine. So yeah. So that's classic because the show must go on. Is there video footage of the fall somewhere? Like, can we hope for that? It's out of my private YouTube. It exists. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Please, please put that on TikTok for all of us. That is epic. That would break TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. The last thing we will ask you is a segment we like to call Karma Call. So I make oh. Megan say it because she says it so well. But I am the <laughs> resident yogi. So I will explain that karma is a Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all all of our amazing, inspiring guests, you, what is one actionable item that our listeners could take? Sort of small action, big results could be drinking water every morning. What's yours? Oh, the one thing that has completely changed my life. I feel like a bunch of people must have told this to you, but I meditate for seven minutes a day. I tried to, I have tried to meditate throughout my life and failed almost at every single juncture. I even hired a meditation coach for a while and it just wasn't working for me. And my sweet spot is seven minutes. And I think that that's something that everybody can achieve. Like I think meditation seems so intimidating, but if you can just do seven minutes a day, the minute you wake up before you get out of bed, you've already done something for yourself because as you're approaching your day, especially if you're a mom and you're very busy, if the first thing in your day is like setting that intention and being able to take some time to take care of you. I just think it's going to change the way the rest of your day goes. Love it. Amazing. Best advice. Have we heard it before? Yes. Can we ever hear it enough? No. no. So thank you for that. Thank you for that reminder. We can't thank you enough for being here. So Michelle, thank where can guys. our listeners find you on the gram if they want to follow along on your life and your journey? Well, I hope you guys also DM me with any questions that you have if you're listening to this podcast, but I am at Michelle W. Park, and that is with two L's. Love it. Thank you guys for having me. This has been so fun. I wish I could hang out and chat with you guys like all day. I know. Well, we'll do that another time. You can make us all bento boxes. I'm in. Come over to my house. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, Michelle. We really appreciate you being here. And thank you to everybody at home for listening along. Don't forget to subscribe to the show anywhere podcasts can be consumed so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off The Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time.